morning, folks. It's great to see you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to uh, the book of Philippians. We're going to go there in a minute. We're going to go there in a minute. Thank you so much to those of you who've given generously this morning. Um, today is a day of just celebrating and saying thank you to God for the generosity of his people. Um, we have a total here from this morning anyway of around um, six, pardon? Tell you, tell you exactly, right Right now, what's being given right now is £57,955, which is wonderful, plus a pledge monthly of uh, how much? About an extra £750 a month, which... If you put that onto something like a mortgage, it makes a really big difference. Will, if you've got, if you've yet to give to that, please do um, do that today uh, or over this week. And uh, that's just really wonderful. We'll sit down with the trustees this week. Thank you to you guys for being such a generous people. Bless you. Thanks. We appreciate it. Good on you. I I don't know what it means in terms of how we go forward with our money, but we will worry about that and we will. Look at that this week. But you know what, guys? I just want to thank you for taking seriously the challenge of uh, going to God and saying, what would you, how would you like me to respond to this? Thank you for doing that. That's wonderful. Uh, I can promise that if you have done that, you will be blessed. Not necessarily financially blessed, although that may be the case, but you will be blessed and God will bless any gift that's given. So, guys, we've already heard this morning three different examples of generosity that have gone on here. We've just said about the Caris Kids, which was funded. That account was funded within days, I think, of us just inviting you to do that here. Uh, we've heard about the Samara's Aid uh, appeal as well. You guys, we're just a generous people, so thank you for that. We were singing just a few minutes ago, stir up passion in our hearts. Stir it up in our hearts. Passion for your name is what we were singing. And you know that happens when we come to God intentionally and deliberately. This week, some of us have been praying um, many of us hopefully have been joining in in one way or another the 24-7 prayer week that we've had, deliberately choosing to come close to God and push into his presence, just trying to line up from his heart. I got this text on Sunday night from a friend of mine. We'd started, we'd, we'd had our first sort of little session together. There was maybe 20, 25 of us in here just praying. And uh, I got home from that and I felt a friend of mine from um, Birmingham texted me completely out of the blue. His first bit was, I'm really sorry for being such a rubbish communicator and not getting in touch very much. Well, I, I can echo that too. But what he said was, I felt that God wanted to tell you that he was pleased with you. You had mined his heart and allowed your intentions to resemble his. And he was honoring this to a greater degree than you could currently perceive. I thought that was really... He, and then he said, no idea if that makes any specific sense, but, but be blessed nonetheless. And I was just so blown away. So then this week, we started to pray, and uh, we started to spend some time just coming close to God and just trying to listen to him and line up with him. And this week, we, um, we heard uh, from a company. We, we're, by the way, as part of this building project, we're trying to find um, a solution to expand our storehouse into. And uh, we're looking for some sort of modular building that will go on the car park. And this week, we got a, an email and then a conversation with the company who said, we think, we think that we would be able to give you one of those for free. 
Now, we, then they went back and we had some more phone calls to try and ascertain if this was really the truth. And we're not exactly sure yet, but we're still praying. They sort of said, oh, yes, that sounds good. We think we can do something there. When they found out what we actually wanted. However, we just saw this as the blessing of the Lord. And then I heard some stories yesterday from healing on the streets. I heard that somebody was prayed for yesterday on the streets of Winchester. Now, I have to say, I rushed past the healing on the streets team in Winchester yesterday because it was raining. And to be honest, I just wanted to get out of the rain. I saw them there. Bless them. Good, good to see you guys. Bless you as I run. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I got these stories later. Somebody was prayed for with sciatica. They started at a 5 out of 10 in terms of their pain. After prayer, it went down to 2. After a second prayer, it went down to 0. Healed from sciatica. The next one I heard about was a guy who prayed, who came. Now, he came last week and chatted to the team. In fact, he chatted to Joe last week, this guy, and, uh, and, and sort of had a bit of a chat and went away. Came back and said, I need prayer to be free from my addiction to drugs and alcohol. And he received the Gospel of John, and he brought his son with him, who was an ex-prisoner, who was also seeking God. This young man chose to pray uh, to Jesus, to receive Jesus on the streets. Yesterday, felt a change in his heart, received a New Testament. And another guy, a Turkish guy, had a really painful foot and again was prayed for, felt lighter and better and received a Turkish New Testament. There's only one man I know who carries Turkish New Testaments around, and that's Steve Roberts. Are you here today, Steve? This is Steve, even though he's not here. Bless him. Anyway, God is at work on our streets. And his, te- and his email, he wrote, hmm, begin to sound a bit like Acts, right? <laughs> and then today, uh, we've come to give, and you guys have given so generously. And isn't that just wonderful? What an amazing week. You know, in the lead up to today, we've shared about how this vision for investing in our building will really help us to fulfill the mission that we believe God has called us to, how we can better welcome the many guests that find their way here on Sundays, how improving our building will make a better base from which we can impact people and communities with the love and the power of Jesus. The money that you've given or pledged today will be needed to provide building materials. I've just realized I haven't got my clicker. Thank you very much. Can you stick the first slide up for me? We'll, give to, we'll need that to provide building materials and labor costs, and thank you for that. But as we continue this morning, I want us to talk about building for the future, but I want our focus to shift away from the physical structure of the building. It's more of a spiritual infrastructure. Over the past few weeks, I've said, you know, it's a privilege to give towards something that's going to create an environment where those who haven't yet come here will come and find Jesus. It's just a privilege to give into the future. That's what many of us have done. You and me and those of, you know, but as you know, the church, the building isn't the church. The church is the people. You know that. And uh, that's us. That's you and me and those who will join us over the next few weeks and years and months. And so as well as investing in the physical building, I believe that God wants to invest in the spiritual infrastructure of this church, Winchester Vineyard. That's us. Our, Our family home, you know, the home that Joe and I and our family live in is a wonderful and significant place It's strategically important for our family, but it isn't our family. As our family grows, the most important thing is how we invest in one another's relationships, how we grow in character. It's just that the physical space is a necessity to make it easier to do that. And that's how it is with the church as well. It's the same with our church. And so we're still talking about building for the future, but we're changing the picture. And hopefully that's going to move on. We're changing the picture and not talking about more bricks and mortar. We're going to talk about people. And how we're going to do that is we're going to really dig into a particular Bible book over the next month or so. And that's the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to Philippians. I don't know how well you know this book. It's uh, clear. It doesn't have as kind of 
obvious and clear a narrative structure as some of his other letters do, and as, for example, Romans does that we studied earlier in the year. But I really believe it speaks into our situation, and I do believe that God wants to speak to us through it. So if you can just push it onto the next part. There it is, Philippians. So I've just changed one verse. Uh, so you're going to go back one for me. I've changed it to people building for the future, because that's what God wants to do now. So why don't you turn up Philippians chapter 1, and we're actually going to read all the way through the first chapter. Okay? And just before we do that, I just want to tell you a little bit of background to this book, a little background to this letter. Okay? And then we're going to read through chapter 1, and then I'm just going to make some comments about two particular passages this morning. Now, Philippi, the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, which, by the way, is now we would call this area Macedonia. Okay? Um, it's down the, sort of down the end of the, the far part of Europe. Um, Paul planted this church, and we read about that in Acts 16. It was the first church that he planted in Europe. The first church that he planted in Europe. Um, there's a couple of stories in Acts 16 about how a lady called Lydia, who was a dealer in purple goods, was converted. And then there was another great story about how Paul and uh, Timothy, I think it was with him, or maybe it was Silas, I can't know, Silas, how they, um, how they saw this slave girl freed and then were put into, they went into prison and uh, they were sitting there thinking about what was going to happen to them and how they were going to get out of prison and God miraculously sent an earthquake. Do you remember? Do you remember this story? And the prison, the, je- the, the, um, the, the, the doors opened and the jailer saw what had happened and assumed that the prisoner had escaped and went to com- was about to kill himself um, and Paul shouted, no, 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 we're still here. Do you remember that story? And the jailer and all his, uh, his family were saved and converted. Well, that, those stories were the start of the Philippian church, the church in Philippi. And this is a church among the many churches that Paul planted that Paul had great affection for, really great affection for. At the time of writing the letter to the Philippians, most likely it's around AD 62 and it's later in Paul's life and he is now under house arrest in Rome. He's written the letter to the Romans three or four years earlier, um, but he's now under house arrest, and we think probably that he didn't move from there. That was, nobody really knows exactly what happened to Paul in the end, but basically he was, he was probably killed at some point after that. Um, so he's in prison in Rome, and what the Philippian church, who, are, who are, have, he has this great affection for, they have sent him a gift, a financial gift. And they've sent it with a guy called Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus has uh, brought this gift to Paul, and Paul has written them a letter and sent it back with Epaphroditus. It's chiefly a letter of friendship. He expresses just how much joy he has for them, how much mutual affection there is. It's different, as I said, from Romans or Corinthians or something like that. It's a letter of friendship. And Paul is basically a little bit like an older brother or a father figure, just saying how much he loves them, how much he values them, how much joy they bring, how much he prays for them. And as well as that, he gives them some encouragement and some advice along the way. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read it from the New International Version, the NIV version of the Bible. Just pop my... There we go. Actually, you leave that. I, don't, I want to come back to that bit. Just leave it on the... Yeah, just leave it on there for now. Paul and Timothy... Servant Christ Jesus, to all God's people, God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, to the glory and the praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what should I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Because I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. We'll leave it there for now. This is Ephesians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. This is Philippians chapter 1. <laughs> and what I'd like to do, there is there so much in there that we could explore. But I want to focus on the first part, on two particular prayers that Paul prays for this Philippian church. In the same way as he articulates his prayers for them, I believe there are things God wants to say to us this morning. Actually, God's already been talking to us this morning. Some of us already heard the voice of God when we were worshipping and when Lynn shared that word. Some of us already sensed the Lord's presence here. But I've called the rest of this talk thankful and fruitful. Thankful and fruitful. And the first bit I want to look at is Paul's prayer of thanks, which is in verses 3 to 8. This is the bit, by the way, after the greeting, when anybody who's writing a letter, you know, there's a standard form to write letters in, you know. And Paul is kind of, even in the ancient world, they had this standard form of how they would write a letter. And this is where you might say, in a regular letter, you might say something like, I trust this letter finds you well. Okay, or if I, might, if, if I write an email to somebody, I usually say, hope you're doing okay. You know, and this is Paul's hope you're doing okay. He kind of sort of takes the, the standard form and he adds into it. Um, he sort of adapts that convention and he starts to say, I thank my God for you. I give thanks for you every day. And so here's this prayer that he prays. I thank my God for you every time I remember you. And I just want to unpick this part a bit. And there's a structure here. There's a, quite a specific structure that revolves around the middle verse, verse 6. 
Let me show you what I mean. I think hopefully this will work. I've got some colours to show you. Can you put that slide on for me, please? There we go. I thank my God every time I remember you. So the outside of this sort of sandwich structure, you've got him saying, I remember you and I give thanks for you every time I think of you. And again, God can testify how long, how I long for you with the affection. This is very, very personal for Paul. He says, I think of you often. I love you much. You know, he's only visited this church probably three or four times. But the bond that he has for them is really clear and it's really strong. His love for them comes through. And then the next part, just push, push it onto the next. Oh, heck. Oh, yeah, there we go. That's it. Sorry, my fault. Not doing very well with this there, am I? I thank God every time I remember you. That's what he says. That's his kind of first message. Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Wouldn't it be lovely just to have somebody who was praying for you like that? I have friends that I have seen many more times than three or four in my life that I don't pray for in this way, the way that Paul prays for this church. What, a, what an amazing privilege. And so pushing it on to the next bit, um, Paul, t- taking up the green now, he says in verse 4 and 5, In all my prayers for you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And then again, down the bottom, he says, It's right for, you to feel, for me to feel this way since I have you in my heart. And whatever's happening to me, all of you share in God's grace with me. He emphasizes, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What makes me happy? It's your partnership in the gospel. Paul's whole motivation was the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't have anything else to live for. There was nothing else he lived for. And this church community in Philippi spreading the good news about Jesus. They were an outward-focused church. Both in their own community of Philippi, they've seen people come to know Jesus and get saved but also they're outward-focused in their partnership with Paul by supporting him financially in the same way as we've partnered with Caris Kids to help people in all sorts of different parts of the world. In the same way as we partner with people, others have benefited. They have benefited from his ministry. They have partnered in the gospel with him. And so it's really interesting and it's really helpful for Paul that he's got people who are partnering with him. He's got kindred spirits all over the place. And their financial gift, the actual giving of money for them was just a symbol of where their hearts were really at. A sign of what was really important to them. You see, when you launch out with some kind of new vision or idea, it can be really daunting. It can be risky. It might mean looking stupid. And when others start to follow your vision, well, that's when you start to realize you're onto something. When people start to say, yes, I believe it. Yeah, I'll get involved with that. You know, Johnny and Beth were over here in the summer, and we had this auction of promises. They came back from Tajikistan. They said, look, we've got these projects. It doesn't cost a lot, but one of these um, greens will make the local economy, and it will make a massive difference in the agricultural uh, setting. And, and we all jumped on board, and our youth jumped on board, and we were able to raise enough money for one, for one of those things. Isn't that wonderful? You know, now, a few months ago, I brought it to the church, and I said, hey, guys, you know, we think that God is telling us to buy a van for compassion, and you guys gave generously, and now we're delivering food every week, fresh food every week, as well as those um, Samara's aid boxes we've just seen pictures of as well. And today you guys have shown just how wonderfully generous you are and how ready to buy into the vision that you are. That's an incredible thing for leaders, for any, any leaders. I think if Paul, the Apostle Paul, were praying for us here in Winchester... I think he'd be praying for us in a similar way as he's praying for the Philippian church. He'd be saying, I'm so thankful for you. Every day I pray for you 
um, I'm so thankful for the way that you partner in the gospel with me. I think he'd be looking at us saying, those guys, they try and live as scattered servants. They try and live out their faith in real and practical ways. They try and bring hope and life in the communities that they live in. They're living out the gospel of Jesus and they're contributing financially to other people who are living out the gospel and doing various things and making it possible. I don't know if Paul is actually praying for us. It does say in Hebrews that there's a great cloud of witnesses. But I do know that Jesus is praying for us. Because he says in Romans, Paul says, Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. These are the kind of prayers that are prayed over us. They're the kind of prayers we need to pray over each other and ourselves, to be honest. The kind of things that Jesus says to the Father about us. Do you know? Do you know that he is absolutely crazy about you? Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how much affection there is for you in the heart of God? How much love and thankfulness and praise? And all of that, sorry, there you go. It's a gospel partnership. All of that to say around this middle verse here, I'm confident of this, that he who begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. You see, God has already done some incredible things in each and every one of us. And he will finish what he started. God will finish what he started. How many of us know this, that there's more to do yet? How many of us know that there's more to do? There's more in me to do that God wants to do. That is the tension of the kingdom. We live in the now and we look forward to the not yet. That is a tension. We've seen so much. We've experienced so much. We've experienced incredible life and love and mercy, transformation, empowering, infilling our lives. We've seen God change people. We've seen God change communities. It's wonderful and we celebrate it. And yet there's more. That's both exciting and it's challenging. Are you more excited or challenged? Depends how the day is. The day of Jesus Christ for the early church that it talks about in that passage meant the day that they expected that Jesus would return. They were going to live all the way for Jesus up to the point where he came back. So sandwiched in between all this love and affection and blessing and partnership is this simple statement from Paul that God has more for us. There's more. He wants to finish what he started. It's almost as if he's gently but firmly reminding them, you know, this is all wonderful, guys, but it isn't the end. Don't stop here. Don't settle. Don't get complacent. Stay vital. Push on. Grow. You know, we sang this morning, I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. And I just had this funny idea in my head that God might be at the same time singing, I want more of you as well. I want more of you. You know, I know what we mean when we sing we want more of him, and he's here anyway, but what we're saying is we want, we want more of him in our lives. We want to reflect more of him. And he says, yes, and I want more of you too. I wonder if some of us really need to hear that encouragement today. Not to settle. Not to settle, but to grow. Maybe we've already come a long way in our lives. Maybe Jesus has walked with us through some very difficult times. Honestly, we just like a break from all of that sometimes. And Jesus does promise us rest, but he also wants us to continue to walk with him and to grow. 
The ultimate goal is to get to Jesus as fully formed and mature as possible. Now, I don't know how you want to get over the finish line, but I don't want to get over the finish line like this guy did the other week. Can you push it on for me, please? Did you see this a few weeks ago? Anybody see this? The Brownlee brothers, in a normally fantastic first and second usually, or in, in whatever race they're in. And this guy, um, I think it's Johnny, uh, almost lost the plot. And his brother sacrificed his own silver medal, gold, a potential gold medal, um, to help his brother over the line. I mean, great that he made it, and there's a lot of good messages there about brothers and all of that. But I don't want to get to the finish line. Well, I do want to get there, but I don't want... <laughs> I don't want to get there and just crawl over the line. You know, I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. I want it to be something a little bit more like this, you know. Win the prize. And Paul's next prayer that I just want to look at for the last part of our talk is just down the page in verse 9 to 11. It's his next prayer for the Philippian church. He says, I'm giving thanks to you. And don't forget there's an eternal perspective here. What's about this? This is just in verses 9 to 11. There we go. Sorry, I've jumped ahead. There we go. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How many, I mean, I'm just saying yes, amen. I want that. Pray that over me. Paul has this opportunity to encourage the community. I mean, he hasn't really got started yet on the teaching. This is just part of his opening introduction and thanks. And it just kind of, he can't help it. It just falls out. This is what I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying first that your love may abound more and more. Now, abound means grow in large numbers. I'm praying that you have a big love, that your love will grow. He's talking about agape love, the brotherly love, the goodwill, the benevolence. It's hard to see this kind of love sometimes in evidence when you just watch the news. Our society is lacking in this kind of love. But it is something that Christians have access to which can literally change the world. In the words of Andrew Lloyd Webber, love changes everything. In the words of the Apostle Paul, love is patient and it's kind and it protects, and it trusts, and it hopes and perseveres. And uh, in the words of the uh, Bishop of London, Richard Charters, he said this, knowledge translates directly into power, while love translates directly into service and self-giving. Christianity is essentially a willingness to follow and to love. Our contemporary world is dominated by technology systems, machines, and it needs to rediscover its heart. And that is something that we as believers in Jesus can bring to this world. And that is what Paul is saying to the Philippians. I want you to grow in love. This is how you will know that you are maturing and moving on towards the day of Christ, is that you grow in love. As well as growing in love, he says, I want you to grow in knowledge and in insight so that you'll be able to discern what is best. He's talking about knowledge of God, not just knowledge generally. He says, as we grow in love, you see, as we grow in godly character, we also grow in wisdom and insight. And boy, is our world ever in desperate need of some godly insight. You might call it moral insight. You might call it values. Even for those who don't profess to be Christians or follow Jesus, just operating from some Christian values would make a massive difference. 
I mean, there's all this rubbish going on in the States around Trump and his, his candidacy. And now the Christians are getting stuck into him, saying this guy is not, I mean, never mind the politics, this guy just isn't even operating out of any kind of a love or values that we can recognize. I mean, what, how, what does that say about society when that's allowed to get to the place where it's got to? Where does this lead? Why does Paul want us to grow in love and in knowledge and insight? The clue is in the next verse, in the next part of verse 10. This is because of discernment. You need to be able, we need to be able to know what is the best thing, what really matters. You see, the more we know of God, the more we have his love in our hearts, the more of his character fills our lives, the better decisions that we will make. We'll learn to tell the difference between actions that will help us and actions that will hinder us. We start to understand why it is that certain things have certain consequences. How many times have you done something and then afterwards you just thought, I just really wish I hadn't done that? Maybe we've spoken out in the heat of the moment when it just would have been better to be quiet. I do that most days, to be honest. (laughs) Maybe we've given into temptation when we just should have asked somebody to stand with us or help us or resist. Paul's point is that the more we grow in love and the more we grow in knowledge of God and depth of insight, the better we get at discerning what's going to be best for us. The better we get at discerning the best things. Why? So that we then remain pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Let's move that on. Pure and blameless. Pure and blameless for the day of Christ and continue to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Now this phrase is a mini summary. Can you move it on for me? This phrase is a mini summary of the teaching that Paul gives in Romans chapter 3, which we looked at earlier in the year. I don't know if you remember this, but he, took his, he really takes some time there to explain and unpack how the gospel really works theologically. He's just alluding to it here. He says, God is perfect, and in order to spend eternity with us, he needs us to be perfect too. Just move it on for me. There we go. Do you remember this? Those of you who were here back in the day, how God saves people, righteousness. Go on, next one. Okay. He says, God is perfect. And in order to spend eternity with us, he needs us to be perfect too. We need to be sinless. We need to be spotless. We need to be pure. That's what God calls righteousness. He can't get close to us any other way. We can't contaminate him. That's what righteousness is. That's right living. He says, when you've you've got to that perfect place, then you can be with me. Thing is, God knows we're never going to make that. Never, ever. Not Not in a zillion years. Not a chance. We've blown it already. One way or the other, we've messed it up. It's part of the fallen nature that we actually are born into as humans. Since the fall. Not how God designed it, but since the fall. And so God, in his love and mercy, he offers this solution. He says, instead, I'm going to send Jesus. And Jesus will die on the cross for you. And he will take the punishment for your sin. And his perfect righteousness will be swapped with your imperfect righteousness. And the day that we choose to follow Jesus and give our yes to him, just as those people did on the streets yesterday, that's the day that we're recreated and we take on his righteousness, his right living. And because we have the right living that God requires of us, we can go spend eternity with him. And this is Paul's encouragement to the Philippian church. I'm just reminding you guys about the gospel. If you can grow in love and you can grow in knowledge and you can grow in insight 
and discernment, then you can stay pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And not only that, because that bit's about eternity, but that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, and that's about now. This isn't just a deal for when we die. This is a deal for now. And he reminds us at the end that all of this comes through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? Well, I think it just means that we are more and more like Jesus in every way. Everything we do, every situation we're in, we talk like him, we think like him, we respond like him, we act like him. I read this quote yesterday from Pete Gregg, who is the guy who leads the 24-7 prayer movement. He says, you can't be a Christian and be unconcerned about the refugee crisis. You can't be a Christian and be more interested in Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's divorce than what's happening in Aleppo at the minute. To be a Christian is to be concerned about the brokenness in our world and to do something about it. On a more local level, a friend of mine recently told me, that he had come to the conclusion that what he needed to do as a believer in order to grow in this, in this kind of character and godly character, he said, I have resolved that whatever the context I'm in, wherever I am, whether it's in church or whether it's not in church, whoever I'm with, whether they're believers or not believers, I'm going to attempt to be the most mature person in the room. I'm going to attempt to respond in the way that the most mature person in the room would respond. He then proceeded to tell me about a whole situation where he and his family were out for a meal at a restaurant, and the waiter came over and managed to tip a whole bunch of drinks all over his wife and daughter. I mean, literally, their clothes were soaked, and uh, this guy was so uh, freaked out, the waiter, that he didn't even say, I'm sorry, he just ran away. Okay? He was quite a young guy, I think he was quite inexperienced. And, uh, and then he, br- he brought out something a bit later, and this whole conversation went on, and, and they could have got really cross, and they could have really got mad, and they said, let's just choose to be the most mature people in the room. Let's just bless this guy. The waiter actually never came back to speak to them because he was so mortified about what had happened that they never even got the chance to bless him. He just said, I just resolved to myself that I'm going to try and respond to every situation that comes my way as the most mature person in the room. Now, I've tried this myself, and I've pretty much given up already. (laughs) That's not true. I'm trying very hard. That's just a cheap laugh. Um, It's very hard to be that person, isn't it? When other to respond out of love and grace and compassion when other people don't necessarily do that. You can probably think of situations that have happened this week. But this is the kind of godly character that Paul is praying for the Philippian church to grow in and for us to grow in. You know, two or three weeks ago, when we were talking about the building campaign, I said to you, in many ways, it's easier, much easier, to fully obey God in our finances than in some of the other areas of discipleship that he invites us to grow in. Do you remember me saying this? He asks us, for example, to love everyone, even our enemies. I just wonder if today God might be saying something like, thank you for your wonderful generosity, and your sacrifice, and by the way, that was the easy bit. (laughs) And if this sounds challenging, then that's because it is. But it's all entirely possible through Jesus, as Paul says. And we haven't really touched on the rest of the passage today. I did read it to you, and you'll see from that that Paul is so Jesus-centered 
He's so Jesus-centered in this whole passage. The next chapter, we'll look at it next week, has the most incredible, it's called the hymn of Christ. This incredible few verses where he just describes the nature of Jesus. We'll talk about that next week. Just to say that there's no doubt that for Paul, the motivation is it's all about Jesus. He's committed to Jesus. He's living for Jesus. He's focused on Jesus. He's sold out for Jesus. He says, it's a really famous little verse, to live is Christ. And then he goes on to say, and to die would be even better. (laughs) To live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I don't mind whether I live for him now or go and be with him when I die. I'm kind of, he sort of says, I'm kind of ready to go and I'll be happy to be with him. But it's better for you if I stay for a bit longer because I can encourage you. So either is a result for Paul. Either way, it's so all about Jesus. And you don't grow in this stuff, this godly character. We don't grow as these people by just coming to church or just by being nice or just by giving our money. We have to actually let him into our whole lives. I really believe that he wants, he's here now and he wants to minister to us now. Why don't we stand together? I just want to share a word with you, a couple of words with you, and then I just want to give us a chance to respond. Lynn already spoke this morning about somebody who may be feeling that what they have done is just too too bad, too wrong. It's unforgivable. It can't be cleansed. And that's not the truth. That's not the truth of the gospel. Jesus says, whatever you've done, I can touch you, I can heal you, I can cleanse you, I can forgive you. And um, Joe also had this word this week that there was somebody here with just a deep sense of emptiness. Somebody who was just needing that water of life. When you read those words about being fruitful, you think, gosh, I'd be lucky just to stay alive. And if that's you, we would love to pray for you today. There may be more than one. And the truth is, if you don't know that Jesus has forgiven you, the Bible says in Hebrews, he sacrificed for our sins once and for all. It was done once, and that's enough. Maybe there are people here who feel insecure in their faith. Maybe we wonder if we're going to make it to the finish line at all. Never mind crawling over. And so, Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence and we thank you for being with us today. And we bless you.